Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 20. In our family, disagreeing was seen as disrespectful, you know, and, and so anything like anything like that was disrespectful. So it was really hard for me to get to that point where I had to set boundaries and say, this is not okay. I remember sitting in the car as a kid and listening to Adventures in Odyssey, uh, an audio series, like a dramatized audio series made for kids by an organization called Focus on the Family, uh, which was an organization that my family focused on. Ah, that really wasn't that clever. <laughs> Uh, but today I have on the podcast Amber Cantorna, uh, who is the daughter of a Focus on the Family executive who came out and has now just released a book about that experience, about coming out, called Refocusing My Family, which that is clever. Uh, Amber is an author, a speaker, a musician, uh, and she's a coach with a passion for helping LGBTQ people through their coming out process especially those that come from conservative faith communities. In this episode, we talk a lot about what it was like dealing with her family, uh, because things didn't go well when she came out. And I know for a lot of us, like when we come out to our families, things don't go well, uh, and things have continued to not go well for Amber. Uh, so I really enjoyed being able to talk with her about that and, and some of what she has learned through that process. Uh, I'm so excited to have Amber on the show today. Uh, let's go ahead and dive in. Amber, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing great. Good. I'm glad to hear that. You've you've had a big week. I sure have. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah launch of a book and goodness, that's, that's amazing. Um, Thanks. Yeah, but before we get into all of that, to start, how would you say that you identify and then how has your faith helped form that identity? Well, I would identify as a gay Christian or person of faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, My faith has certainly been kind of deconstructed and reconstructed in the process of coming out. Mm -hmm. And I think in the end, it has certainly made my faith stronger than it ever was. Mm -hmm. And so um, as hard as that process has been, it's been one that I've um, been thankful for because I feel like my faith is much more authentic than it ever used to be. I think that that process of deconstruction... I think comes up often in these conversations because like, how can it not? Um. Well, yeah. And I think it's, it's, I don't know that you ever fully arrive. I think it's a lifelong process of, of continuing to deconstruct and continuing to learn, you know? Yeah. So I, I think it's kind of a journey that we'll always be on. Yeah, absolutely. Like, but how cool is that? You know, how cool is that to continue to learn your whole life? So, right. I, I mean, I'm always, I'm always kind of attracted to like the allure of certainty and, and, feeling like I should have everything figured out mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. to be honest like I feel like that would be a really hard place to be as well like well and that's kind of how I grew up you know everything was so certain so black and white and really what I realized is that doesn't require any faith at all it's it's everything is certain you have all the answers what do you need faith for you know yeah and so the place that I'm arrived at now I think requires a lot more faith and I I love the even you know being able to ask questions or to doubt or to wonder or to be uncertain and to be okay with that and mm-hmm. not feel like I have to have it all figured out the way I used to feel you know right it, it is kind of a comfort in that almost 
it sounds like breathing room in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I've learned to love it. You know, mm -hmm. I certainly bucked against it for a long time because of my evangelical upbringing. But it's it's it turned out to be very freeing. Yeah, and something that I've really um, come to appreciate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, like, tell me about that. Like that story of growing up. Because I mean, that that's what your book is: refocusing my family. Um, it, about growing up as the daughter of an executive of focus on the family. Like that's, that's a story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have grown up in kind of the focus on the family bubble my whole life. You mm -hmm. know, my dad started working at focus on the family when I was three. And so we lived in, you know, Glendora area for a while when they were still based in California. And then we moved to Colorado Springs when they transferred in 91. And, and that was just really my world. You know, I was homeschooled K through 12 and I was very involved in church. And my dad has always worked at Focus and continues to, to this day. So that was just the life that I knew, you know, those, those values and those principles of, of James Dobson and focus on the family were infiltrated into our home and um, family was always the most importance. And, and I even acted on adventures and odyssey as a kid. And, mm. uh, you know, so that it just, it was really in every part of our life. And I really knew nothing outside of that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and people would ask you at, you know, they would ask me from time to time, well, do you, feel sheltered or do you wish that you went to public school and and of course at that time I said no because I was taught that this was the best kind of upbringing you could possibly have and mm -hmm. and there you know what was I missing out on you know and so I didn't realize at the time um how sheltered that I actually was quite sheltered you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. and um and I just I thought I kind of had it all mm -hmm. um and but looking back I realized how much I missed out on, you know, um, socially and, and stuff because I, I was kind of kept in this bubble for so long. Right. Yeah. I'm, th I'm thinking about that from those, like those two perspectives of, cause that I grew up homeschooled, like adventures in Odyssey was everything to us. Like, and, <laughs> yes. and, and like, I'm thinking about that from that perspective, like when you're in it, that it probably does feel like you have the world at your fingertips. And yeah, I mean, it just, you know, everybody looked up to us as kind of the model family that had it all together. And, right. you know, and, and I was, you know, I, I think I didn't start feeling the pr real pressure of that until like my early, like pre-teen and early teen years. Mm. And then I started feeling kind of that pressure to be this model child. Mm. And, um, and that grew harder as I got older. And, you know, and I was a part of the purity culture where you, you know, the true love waits and I kissed dating goodbye and had this whole purity ceremony at 13 years old and wore the ring and, you know, vowed my life to sexual purity until I got married. And, and so all that really shaped my growing up years and shaped my view of the world and, and really impacted me in the long term when it came to um, realizing my own sexual orientation. Right. When did you start realizing your sexual orientation? Very late, mm -hmm. <laughs> much later than most. Mm -hmm. um, I was in my early 20s before oh. I started realizing. And and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was so cocooned for mm -hmm. so long, you mm -hmm. know, and really had no exposure to diversity of any kind. Um, I mean, and that includes everything from racial diversity to, you know, disability to sexual orientation and gender identity, I, like all that. I was just not everybody around me looked just like me, mm -hmm. you know, and, and believed just what we believed. And so my parents kind of did a good job of surrounding us with 
people that believed the same thing and were very much like they wanted me to become. Mm. And so I really didn't have exposure to all that, or I think I probably would have been able to identify it earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, looking back now, I could see signs much earlier on in my life. But um, but I did always struggle. Like I couldn't pinpoint what it was, but I did always struggle with this like inner depression and anxiety and stuff that I just couldn't quite pinpoint um, and never quite knew what was at the root of it until, you know, until later on. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That that makes sense to me. Like that kind of when when you're not exposed to the larger world, like <laughs> there are parts. I think there are definitely parts of ourselves that we can hide from ourselves. And mm-hmm. that, yeah, yeah. It's, it's and I can't say you know that it's all bad because I had oh, some yeah. great experiences, some great childhood memories. My mom was great at traditions and holidays and making things special and meaningful. And, mm-hmm. and those are things that I still cherish to this day, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not like you can just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, it's all bad because it's not. Right. Um, but, the, but you know, being so cocooned, I think, definitely hindered me in the long run of being able to wrestle with and settle, you know, my sexual orientation. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point because, I mean, I think about my childhood and... It, I mean, so often I think in these conversations, we, we go back to the childhood, it's easy to kind of demonize large parts of it because there were mm-hmm. large parts of it that were very bad. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It, the the goodness that was present and I, I, I think like I would love my kids to grow up in an, an environment that had some of this, some similarities to the way that I right. grew up because right. there's a beautiful world. Like... Yeah, and it's comforting and, you you know, nostalgic and, mm-hmm. and and some very good, meaningful parts to that. There's things, you know, from my childhood that my wife and I have worked very hard to kind of still incorporate into our own family, even though that family looks different than my parents imagined or wanted it to, you know? Right. And I still hold some of that stuff very dear, so. Yeah, yeah. As far as your parents go, I'm, I'm trying to remember because I... I f- like you're you're not in contact with them, are you? Or no, I'm okay. not. Okay. No, we have no contact. Yeah, I, I'd be curious about if you could kind of maybe talk about what that process has been like of of separating from your parents, because I would imagine there's probably a lot of pain associated mm-hmm. with that. Sure. But also for for people who are listening, who are kind of maybe in that process of being rejected by their families or not having contact with their parents or like what, what advice or comfort or, or have you learned kind of in, in that separation? Well, you know, I came out in 2012 Mm -hmm. and the relationship, you know, my family and I were always very close. We were a very tight knit family growing up. But when I came out, that instantly changed. Mm. And um, our conversations got very awkward, um, way less frequent, um, just very uncomfortable and icy. And, uh, you know, and then over time, it just got worse and worse and worse to the point that they just cut ties completely. Mm-hmm. And so we had about, you know, two, two and a half years of just this really hard, awkward, um, you know, space where we tried to. Uh, at that point, I was still in a place where I I was very desperate for their love. Mm-hmm. I desperately wanted to prove to them that I was still the same daughter they'd always known and that I hadn't changed. And I wanted them to love me and I wanted them to be proud of me. And, and so I worked very hard to maintain a relationship with them. Um, but over time, it just proved um, unhealthy. Mm-hmm. It was just, um, it, it became... 
unhealthy for me, you know, and, and, um, just almost toxic for me to ride this roller coaster of emotions all the time. Mm. And it just was very, very hard for me. And so I ended up, you know, kind of having to set boundaries along the way, um, of, of what I could handle and what I couldn't. And, and I think what that looks like is different for every family, you know, and, and it comes in stages and it, but I think it is important to do because your own, um, safety and your own mental health are of utmost importance. Mm. You know, I mean, losing my family and my friends and my church, I mean, I lost everything when I came out. Mm. And so that drove me to the edge of suicide. Mm. I was, I just didn't think I was going to make it. And I don't think if I hadn't found the support that I did, um, through my faith community in Denver, I don't think I would have made it because Mm. they are the ones that really rallied around me when I needed people the most, you know? And, and I think one of the hardest realizations for me was I grew up with my mom always telling me, you know, Amber, friends will come and go, but your family will always be there for you. Mm. And she told me that over and over and over growing up throughout the years. And so then at this time when I needed my family the most, they abandoned me. And so to, to wrestle with that and, and to see, you know, friends taking my family's place and standing in where my family should have been, you know, things like my wedding and things like, um, you know, I had no family at my wedding. And so Mm -hmm. uh, those people are the ones that stood up and stood in where my family should have been. Mm -hmm. And so I think finding support like that is critical. Um, it's one of the biggest things that I recommend to people, previous to coming out and through the coming out process, because I think it makes all the difference to have some safe space where you can, um, where you can be yourself, where you can be loved and accepted and celebrated um, just as you deserve to be. Mm-hmm. And, and then the other thing is setting boundaries um, to keep yourself safe and healthy. And like I said, I think what that looks different looks like is different for every person. Right. And um, the way that that plays out in your family is different, but I think it's an important conversation to have, even though it's hard, like it's super hard to set boundaries with your parents mm-hmm. and to, you know, like that's super hard, especially when you grow up under this theology that says, you know, you respect your parents, you honor your parents, you let, you know, and in our family, disagreeing was seen as disrespectful, you right. know? And, right. and so anything like anything like that was disrespectful. So it was really hard for me to get to that point where I had to set boundaries and say, this is not okay. Yeah. And, and I can't, and so that's really a really hard place to be. Um, but in the long run, it, it was absolutely the best thing for me. Mm-hmm. And, and in the end, like even with not having contact with my family, as hard as that is, I think it still is been the best thing mm-hmm. uh, out of the options that I have still mm-hmm. the best thing, because to continue to wrestle through this place where it's just agony and you're not getting anywhere and it's, it just um, squashes your self-worth, you know, um, can really wear you down over time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think those are two of the biggest things I recommend to people as far as um, setting boundaries and having supportive community through that process. Right. Yeah. And I'm thinking about that boundary setting because it's, it's almost like a role reversal of where you're mm-hmm. having to like mm-hmm. be parents to your parents almost of like, cause I, I feel like that's such a parental role almost to say like, this is okay. This is not okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's so hard it, to do. It is. And my parents were like, this is so unlike you Is somebody feeding you these lines. Like, mm. they, cause it was a side they had never seen of me, you know? Right. So it really took them off guard and they didn't know how to react because I had never really bucked against the flow like that before, you right. know? And so it was, it was a very different side of me that they had to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. But, you know, really when it comes down to it, you shouldn't have to be, you shouldn't have to protect your parents from the truth. Like they should be the ones that are fighting for you, you know? Mm. And so you need to stand up for your own mental health and safety um, in the long run because you shouldn't have to be the parent to your parents, you know? Yeah. And and yet in some ways we do, Mm -hmm. we, you know, we do have to. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I'd be curious, like having to do all of that and that process I would imagine took a toll on you. Oh Um, yeah. And because I know those times that I've had to do that in my life, it's, it's incredibly difficult. Yeah. How did you take care of yourself in those moments? Or did you? you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's certainly a learning process. You know, like previous to coming out, I did not do it well. Right. You know, I I dealt with a lot of um, self-loathing and self-hatred and self-injury. And because, you know, this thing that I was taught to hate all my life, this thing that you should never be was suddenly inside of me. And I didn't know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. And so um, previous to being able to reconcile my faith with my sexuality, I just really hated myself for a long time, you know, Mm. and because it felt like something inside of me that I couldn't control. Mm. And so um, I didn't handle it very well, you know, previous to that. Um, But, but once I was able to reconcile that within myself, then there was just this overwhelming peace and joy and um, contentment. And it's, it's so funny because even in the midst of losing everything, it's this interesting kind of paradigm because at the same time, even though as I continue to grieve those things, um, concurrently, I have never been happier in my life. Mm. I've never been more at peace, more comfortable in my own skin, more, you know, like there's just this, just this peace of knowing I'm in the right place mm. and knowing um, that I have been able to accept who I am and that that's beautiful in the eyes of God. And, that you know, like it's just this um, really interesting place that it's brought me to. Yeah, that I, I'm thinking of like, that feels, this feels almost like a shift from that, like, I, I'm imagining like me growing up, like where I always pretended to be happy, but I knew that there was something deeply wrong. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this, you're not necessarily pretending to be happy, but things feel right, even yeah. in the midst of the difficulty and the hardness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's freedom in that authenticity. Yeah. Whereas before I felt bound to perfection and wearing a facade and putting on a smile all the time, even when I wasn't, you know, Mm -hmm. I was desperate for somebody to see past my smile. Um, but nobody ever could, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, it's an interesting shift then to be in a place where, um, I'm able to be authentic and raw and no, I'm not always okay. And yes, it's still hard, but at the same time, I'm so at peace and um and so comfortable with who I am. Mm. It's a beautiful place to be. It is. It is. And it's not easy to get there, but no. it really is a beautiful place to arrive at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious. So coming out of that world of kind of, uh, I mean, I would consider focus on the family to be hyper conservative, although I, I had homeschool families growing up that wouldn't even touch focus on the family because they were too liberal. So <laughs> much different worlds. But, um, <laughs> but coming out of that, I mean, on the right end of conservatism, um, making these journeys, uh, still maintaining your faith. What has that journey been like? Uh, is those kind of faith shifts? 
Yeah. And, you know, I don't think I was ever like people ask me, did you ever turn your back on God or want to turn your back on God? And, mm-hmm. and I really never did. I mean, there was obviously like these times where I felt like I wasn't lovable by God mm-hmm. because of what people had taught me and told me and, you know, um, the things of people in authority in my life, you know, that they would say about God, but I never was going to like turn my back on God. And I think what really kind of was my saving grace is that I had built such a strong foundation of my own personal relationship with Christ growing up. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just, I spent hours and hours and hours and hours on end just with my Bible and my journal in a room at the church, just like, and I just thrived on that um, all through my teen years that really carried me through. And so I think that was pivotal to helping me hold on to my faith through this transition. And um, I think what I really had to do was be able to separate the God that I knew and had um, grown to know and love personally from what people were doing and saying in the name of God. Hmm. And being able to make that distinction, you know, that people may be doing these things in the name of God, but that's not the God that I know. Mm-hmm. And and I think that foundation is really what helped um, carry me through and be able to still hold on to my faith um, post coming out, whereas otherwise I may not have been able to do that, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. it was it was such a world full of um, of religion and rules and reputation and appearances and, you know, and, um, really kind of a fear-based theology, um, you know, of fear of going to hell, fear of, um, you know, I, I think my parents were afraid for my soul. I think they were, you know, they would say, well, we, um, we can't agree to disagree because that's the same as condoning. And, um, and that's something we will never do. And so I think to them, even just associating in that way, they thought would put their their soul in jeopardy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's just a lot of fear in that theology. And I'm very grateful to have been able to break out of that. But I know how terrifying that is to feel like there's this like crack in your belief system that everything could crumble all of a sudden, you know? Right. And, and it takes a lot to be able to face that head on and work through it. Um, for me, it was like, I either do it or I'm going to die, you mm-hmm. know, like I'm not going to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for them, I think they just felt like they had to make this choice. And, um, you know, they said, if I have to choose between God and my own daughter, I'll choose God. And so, um, it's very unfortunate that they see it that way, that they feel like God would make them choose between God and their own daughter, you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, but I think that's, that's where that difference is. And, And my hope would be that someday they could, they would have the ability to face that head on and kind of, um, work through that themselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it's a hard place to be, you know? Yeah. And I, w- I would imagine, like, I mean, that, cause- that causes pain for everyone. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a lose-lose situation on all yeah. ends. And, yeah. Yeah. Just so much fear, you right. know? Right. And, and who wants to live their life in fear? Yeah. It, it's such a hard way to live. Right. And I mean, I'm thinking right now, like, I'm thinking of Jesus's words of, like, I did not come to bring a spirit of fear. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it, spirit of life and, right. you know, life to the fullest. Right. And I really think that that's what, what can be missing easily mm-hmm. if we, if we're not watching. Yeah. Cause I don't think they even realize that fear is at the root of it. You know, when you're in right. that kind of mentality, you don't even realize that that is what is holding you back is fear, you know? Right. So, yeah, I think you're very right in that. Like, I, I I think about some conversations that I've had of where I where I'm like saying like I think there's some fear here, and people are like, no, this is not fear. This is just the truth. And yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. But they don't realize that it's based on a foundation of fear. Mm -hmm. So as you, as you've stepped away from that fear, like what, what have you stepped into? Would you say? And I feel like you've kind of answered that of just like this piece and, but like, especially in, in regards, like maybe with like discovering new things about God or about uh, even in maybe not just God, but in your relationships and the way that you're living your life. Like, yeah, I think as far as like with God, I just uh, breaking out of that small box that I had put God into mm. has opened me up to such a broader view of God. Um, and, a, a much larger, a much more diverse God than I ever realized existed before, mm. you know, which has been so um, freeing and comforting. And, you know, and in my relationships, I've been able to be so much more raw and authentic. I don't feel that pressure or that need to kind of wear the mask in this facade and have it all together all the time. And, and I love that I can just be authentic about who I am. And, uh, you know, and that's something even in the book that I worked very hard to, to maintain is this kind of just raw, authentic honesty, because mm. that's what people relate to. You know, they're not going to relate to if you try to have it all together and you're buttoned up in this facade and facetious and, you know, like they, people relate to when you're raw and honest and real with them. Right. And so that's something I tried very hard to maintain, even as I wrote the book is something that people could relate to and latch on to that they can identify in their own stories in their own lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, that authenticity that that comes out of the the hard work of being vulnerable, like yeah, <laughs> it's, it's Brene Brown. You oh know? yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard work. It yep. is hard work. Yeah, go through. I did her uh, gifts of imperfection this last year with oh, a nice. group at our church, and mm. boy, some of it's like I know this is good for me, but I'm kicking and screaming because it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, like I, <laughs> I um went to one of her talks a couple weeks ago and like the entire time I was sitting there like with this like pit in my stomach of like, ugh, like, like this is so true, but I like don't want to do any of this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. So hard. Yeah. Oh gosh. So you're married. Um, I am. Yeah. And like, I think I know, I mean, I'm, single and a a lot of people who listen to this podcast are are single and like have that kind of future hope of like someday maybe like this this dream of being partnered uh and and finding someone and you're there um and i'd be curious about like how did you meet your wife and then what has that been like in kind of maybe fulfilling some of those dreams uh that I would imagine have been there since childhood, but just in a very different way. <laughs> than, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, my wife and I have been married a little over three years mm. and um, we met at church actually oh, nice. um, here in Denver. I was sharing my life story one morning and she happened to show up. And so um, we met that day and started dating a couple months later. And so, um, so yeah, we've been very thankful to have kind of a good church community that's been around us the whole time. And, mm. And, you know, in some ways, our, you know, relationship is maybe different than what I dreamt. You know, obviously, I was taught as a kid that, you know, you're going to grow up and marry a husband, you're going to have kids, you're going to be a housewife, and you know, and some of that, you know, rings true and some doesn't, you know, like, some of that shifts and adjusts, but I don't think, um, 
just because you're gay that that has to change the whole way that your relationship works mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. i think you can still have everything you've ever dreamed i mean obviously you can get married now legally we can um have our adopt kids you can do, like you can still have all those things right. it doesn't have to change just because you're gay you know mm-hmm. um and so we we are very happily married um you know it's been a little over three years and we have a home we've got two puppies and um they're like our babies right now and we're still not sure about kids at this point but you know that's certainly an option if we wanted it to be and um and just kind of that freedom in the relationship of and i think one thing that um is kind of nice about you know being in a same-sex relationship is that you kind of naturally defy the the stereotypical roles you know and and that kind of is freeing in a way because um i mean sometimes i think we kind of naturally fall into some of that and there's nothing wrong with that but it also doesn't have to automatically define you as in this role or in that role and you know and so you kind of get the freedom of being able to do whatever you want and Mm -hmm. and we did that even with our wedding you know we were like we paid for it all ourselves. We didn't have any help from people. And so we're like, we get to make it whatever we want it to be, you know? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, um, some things were very traditional that we chose to do and, um, very Christ centered. And then there was other things that we added that, um, were just very fun and just things that we wanted to make our day special, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was nice to have kind of that freedom of, we can do whatever we want. We're, we're already defying the rules. So there really right. are no rules. So we can make it whatever we want it to be, you know? And and I think that's kind of a nice freeing aspect of it as well. Yeah. It's, I mean, the creativity that you can kind of bring into the equation with, yeah. without having to have this kind of set standard of like, this is how we do things. Like, yeah. You get to kind of mess that up and play around with it, you know, and which is kind of nice. Yeah. It's, yeah. I've watched several friends, uh, like gay couples get married over the, the past couple of years and just watching like the intentionality that goes into the, like there isn't a precedent for this. So we're going to make this deeply meaningful for us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's so and sometimes cool. we still kind of even naturally fall into those roles and then we'll have a conversation about that of like, Oh wait, I don't want it to be this way or, you know, or maybe I do. And are you okay with that? Or, mm-hmm. you know, but just the freedom of being able to have those conversations of, um, you know, what, what you want that to look like and being intentional about that. Yeah. Yeah. So your book that came out this last week, tell us a little bit about it. I mean, I, I think people can probably kind of gather what it is, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about it. And I mean, you're, you're starting out on a big book tour and there's a lot going on. Yeah. So, um, the book is called refocusing my family and it released this last Sunday. It's, available pretty much anywhere books are sold right now. Um, but it really is in the form of a memoir. So it really tells my story Hmm. of growing up and what it was like to grow up, you know, homeschooled in the heart of the purity culture, daughter of a focus on the family executive. And then what that struggle was like when I started wrestling with my own sexual orientation and, and what the coming out process was like for me. And, um, so really I kind of wrote it, with several things in mind. I wrote it um, specifically as a memoir because we do have quite a few books coming out now that um, that work through the clobber passages and talk about theology and do some right. of that, but we don't have a lot of just simple stories that people can relate to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that is so valuable and really is helpful when you're wrestling with your own um, process of trying to reconcile your faith with your sexuality is realizing you're not alone Mm -hmm. and being able to latch on to a story that you can identify with. Mm -hmm. And so I did that intentionally and then um, wrote it with hopes of reaching, you know, 
LGBT people from kind of conservative faith communities um, that and give them kind of that anchor of hope to to be able to identify with the story, to be able to help them through their coming out process and know, you know, that you can still have a beautiful life. You can still get married. You can still do all these things and kind of um, have that role model out there for them. But I also am wanting to reach into those, um, you know, families and friends of these LGBT people and kind of take this from a um, theological debate and a political topic down to a very personal story that they can relate to. Because mm. I think when you can make it a story, you can make it about a person um, that you can actually see, somebody's face that you can name, you know, it, it changes things. Right. Um, and, and it makes it more real. And so for them to be able to identify with, you know, maybe homeschooling their kids or raising their kids on James Dobson and all that, and then seeing the effects of um, how that's played out in my family, I'm hoping we'll create these conversations for change so that they can do things different and better for their own family. Yeah. So they don't have to pay the penalty of, um, you know, of what we've had to pay in our family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So really it's kind of several fold. Yeah. And, um, and really ultimately, you know, what I want is to see the suicide rates go down because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was so close to suicide myself and, um, dealt with self injury for many years and, and just the rates of suicide, you know, from an LGBT person that comes from, um, a, a rejecting family is like 32 times, according to the Trevor project, 32 times more likely to attempt suicide than their straight peers. So it is just astronomical, especially inside these conservative faith communities. Mm -hmm. So really, you know, ultimately that's what we want to see go down is, is, um, people not feeling the need to take their lives because they have to choose between their faith and their sexual orientation. Right. Yeah. And, I'm thinking about that, and and you'd mentioned closer to the the beginning of the conversation. You you use the word infiltrated to talk about Dobson and focus on the family and, and that theology of how it infiltrated mm-hmm. your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be curious if you if you could maybe go into that a little bit of of what of what that theology is and and its damaging effects um especially for maybe people who are trying to i feel like all the queer people listening to this podcast already know very well um (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) but but for the people who are like what does that mean like well i think that you know the theology of you know they believe very much that marriage is between one man and one woman Mm -hmm. um and they believe that you know, I, I include a couple quotes from Dobson in the book about how, you know, on one hand, they say they have to be very um, respectful to the gay community, but at the same time, they need to oppose everything that they're doing because it's a threat to the family unit, you know. And so this belief that um, being gay means something is wrong with you, um, that you're you're not made in the image of God, that you're um, there's something you have to fix in your life, you know, growing up with that feeling of there's something you have to fix and yet it's something you have no control over. Mm-hmm. You feel so defeated, you know? And I think that's what sparks a lot of the self-hatred and stuff that people deal with and face because they're being forced to fix something that they have no control over. And, um, I think that is very damaging and, and even things like, you know, love the sin or hate the sin, you know, right then you feel like you're being loved with conditions attached. You're not really being truly loved, truly accepted, truly embraced. It's, you know, we love you, but 
And there's always kind of that but attached to that love, this kind of exception or this string that doesn't make you fully included. And it makes you feel like a second class citizen, like you don't really belong or fit in, you know. And I think that is some of the most damaging stuff that happens inside faith communities is that they do all these things in the name of love or in the name of God, but really it doesn't feel loving when you're on the other side of it. Right. Absolutely. It's that it, it forms that kind of cognitive dissonance of like, these people say they love me mm-hmm. and yet, uh, and, and I'm trying to do everything they tell me to do. And yet it's not like, there's a disconnect there of like, I'm not happy. I don't feel loved. Mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I can't do this. I don't really belong. Yeah. Right. I'm kind of, kind of more on the outskirts as far, you know, rather than really being embraced as part of the family, yeah. you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And they don't see you the same either. You know, they see you as broken. They see you as something that needs to be fixed. Something that, you know, my family kind of did some of these like passive aggressive things where they would, um, would, you know, plan an entire family vacation without me and then invite me for a couple days of it because mm-hmm. they didn't feel comfortable or, you know, and stuff like that, that is so damaging to your soul, you know, Absolutely. to feel like you've been pushed and pushed to the outside and, um, you know, the things that they do in the name of love that, um, are really so very harmful to, to who you are as a human being. Right. I'm thinking about even like, cause I was, I was side B for quite a while. Like even mm-hmm. when you, when you come out and then take the traditional perspective on I'm same sex attracted, but I'm not acting on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're still kind of labeled as that, that broken second class, but then, mm-hmm. then kind of covered over with that, but we're all sinners. And uh-huh, like, exactly. But exactly. there's a big difference here between the way I'm being treated and, and everyone else in the church is being treated. And mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard place to be. And although I, I think if you were to ask my parents, they would have been thrilled with that. Yeah. You know, if I would have just, you know, cause I think they would agree that maybe um, I couldn't, you know, I didn't ask for these feelings to be same sex attracted. I didn't, you know, but as long as I didn't act on them, mm-hmm. you know, that that's where I crossed the line mm-hmm. is by acting on them. Then, you know, that's what brings me outside of God's will in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as I, you know, they would love to have sent me to love one out or some kind of, um, you know, escape therapy mm-hmm. or, to, you know, to fix me. Um, and so if I would have done that in their eyes, then I think that would have been, um, what they wanted to see happen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But because I, I'm, you know, moved forward to a side a approach of embracing that was just completely unacceptable to them. Right. Right. Mm. Mm. Uh, well, so you said your, your book is in bookstores everywhere right now. You're, you're... It, it, yeah. Most bookstores, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, um, most bookstores will carry it. And then I'm starting, um, a book tour this next week will be um we have over 20 events booked nationwide um at universities and bookstores and churches and um they can find out all that information on my website at amberantorna.com awesome ah well amber thank you so much thank you it's been a pleasure yeah this has been so much fun and good luck to you thank you i'm looking forward to seeing you when i come out your way Amber's book, Refocusing My Family, is available in bookstores and online right now. Go pick up a copy. You can reach her over at ambercantorna.com or at Amber N. Cantorna on Facebook and Twitter. 
Queerology is on Twitter, at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly, at Matthias Roberts. I'd love it if you'd leave a review of Queerology. Just head over to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review, or leave a review in your podcast app. If you want to find out other ways you can help support Queerology, head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash support. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of who you'd like to see on the show, or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next week, y'all, bye!